Hey, y'all. I'm Erin Haynes, the host of The Amendment, a brand new weekly podcast on gender, politics, and power, brought to you by the 19th News and Wonder Media Network. You've probably heard the news that this election year, our democracy is at stake. On The Amendment, I'm breaking down what that actually means, specifically for the marginalized folks who depend on our democracy the most. This is a show that dives past the headlines and gets clear on the unfinished work of our democracy. Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts. Diana Kander here welcoming you to Professional AF, a podcast in which the most brilliant people help me and hopefully you get better at the skills professional women need to master in order to get to the next level, to make a bigger impact. If you listen to episode one, then you know I have this long list of things that I want to improve. And you also know that I believe so much in the power of curiosity that I understand that what's really holding me back in each one of these areas is what I don't know. You heard that right. If you have a goal that you're working on, then you might have this list of things that you think is going to get you there. But if your list was going to get you there, you would have done that already. No, there's this other list of blind spots that you have about your goal, things that you don't know that could help you achieve your goal so much faster. That's what we're here to learn about. Today, we're talking about charisma and influence. And no matter what your job title, chances are you've got to sell your ideas to other people. For me, that's a daily activity. As a professional speaker, I get on stage in front of hundreds of people that have no idea who I am. And before I start speaking, they're all pretty much thinking that they'd much rather be checking their email. And then I'm supposed to change these people's lives in give or take an hour. Yeah, it's a pretty challenging task. And when you're done with your presentation, whether it's me up on stage or whatever you're trying to sell or convince others to do, nobody's ever going to say to you, you know what? You weren't charismatic enough. You didn't command the room. You weren't compelling. No, nobody's ever going to say that. They're, they might say other things, but they're going to leave those out. So how would you ever know that this is a topic that's holding you back? That's what I wanted to learn. In this episode, I talked to John Neffinger, the author of Compelling People, The Hidden Qualities That Make Us Influential. John's going to share what executive presence is and how do you make sure that you have it. How people make character judgments about you, that they really only consider two things on whether they like and respect you. Why women are at a disadvantage in the way that these two attributes are judged and what we have to do to be respected but not disliked. What you consciously and subconsciously communicate to others and what strategies you can use to become more charismatic and influential. Power up your neurons and get ready for this episode of Professional AF. So many people believe that you either have charisma or you uh, don't. Yeah. And are you here to tell us that it's really possible to change your charisma? I am very happy to be here to, to say that. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, it is. absolutely it is. And you've seen business leaders do it. You've, you've seen oh, people yeah. actually be able to do it. Oh, yeah. I've seen people do it. I mean, I think if you think about it for a bit, I think many of us have seen people change over the over time. And for many of us, you know, it's like growing up. Yeah, of course, you're a different person than you were when you were an adolescent. But those kinds of changes are possible at whatever stage in life we're at. There's a new there's a new way that we can approach things and carry ourselves and all of that. 
that just affects the way we fit into the world around us, the way the world around us responds to us, that is in our control. Not always easy. I'm not, I'm not here to say, oh, just read the book. You'll be fine. You'll close it <laughs> and, you're and set. stand up a new person. No, not exactly. <laughs> um, but we often don't fully value uh, how important the kind of very basic ways the world sees us and reacts to us are in how our lives unfold. Um, and, and I think if, you know, the kinds of people who are probably listening to something like this probably already have a clue, which is good to be thinking along those lines. And it is important not to, not to fall for this idea that, oh, it, you know, it is what it is. And if I think about this at all, then I'm going to turn into an inauthentic monster or, you know, something like that. Um, we all think about this kinds of stuff uh, more and less in, in different places. It's very much a part of being human, but think about who we are in relation to the folks around us. And yeah, we can do something about it. But like the big aha for me was that there are two very specific things that you should be thinking about that most people are completely unaware that these are the two things that you're being judged socially on, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. And it's not, it's not one thing. It is two things that have a very interesting relationship. And once you see that interesting relationship, a lot of other stuff starts uh, becoming clear and you, you see echoes of this all over the place. So we call those two things strength and warmth. So strength is not how much you can bench press. I mean, that's part of it. But it's basically when, you're, when your lizard brain sees somebody else, um, and, and here's somebody else, and this is a, sort of a constantly unfolding judgment, but it starts really soon, which was the, the uh, insight that Malcolm Gladwell's book, Blink, was summarizing from all the then current social science research, that we, we do this right away. Our lizard brain kicks in, and we come up with an impression of another person. And one of the things that we're solving for is strength, because essentially we're asking the question, can this person bend the world around them to their will? Do they get stuff done and make stuff happen? Because if they do, given that this person is in my world now and I'm in their world now, it's going to affect my world. So I got to pay attention to that. Um, so people who project strength, and this can be money, positional authority, um, good looks, um, uh, and, but really it's sort of the nonverbal uh, uh, the nonverbal behavior that, that reveals character more than anything else. Um, we, so it's, it's all of that packaged together, but especially the intentionality around strength. Does this person, uh, is this person determined to bend the world to their will? If, if you get that vibe from somebody, the more of, the more of that kind of stuff that you get, the more they, we say they project strength and they command respect, right? So that's, that's one half of the equation. The other half though, we say you, you have to respect that, but you don't have to like it. And liking is the other piece. That's your warmth. And so warmth is, is this person on my side? Um, and you can unpack that a little bit, too, in terms of do they, do they share the same goals and worldviews? And also, just do I enjoy their company is also a part of that. Um, mm -hmm. So that's the warmth piece that gives you liking and affinity and all of these sort of fancy words. But um, whether you call it affinity and agency or strength and warmth, or whether you recognize this as Adonai and Eloheinu, Eloheinu the two Old Testament words for God or, you know, uh, 
I guess yin and yang, there's some piece to this too, right? <laughs> it, it, there's very much a Mars and Venus thing, which is part of why it's not a coincidence if you see this across cultures, that there is a there is a gender association with each of these two things that's very clear as well. How did you figure out that these are the two things, that there aren't other things that people are considering, that they really focus in on, on these two? Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you how we figured it out. We were looking at polling and trying to figure out, you know, what, what makes political candidates appeal to voters, sure, like a lot of people in the political game were. But we were also coaching public speakers and not just in politics, in private sector, too. Um, and so a couple of partners and I started out on this journey to do coaching. We thought we could be helpful there. We'd been speechwriters before, but we always hated it when we wrote a beautiful speech and then it fell flat. <laughs> it was delivered terribly. So we're like, we didn't fix that. So we're coaching speakers, you know, to do pitches or other kinds of keynotes and things. And so many of the folks that we were working with, our clients fell into one of two buckets. Some people were very sure about the material and they got up and they presented it confidently, and they uh, were, were very insistent about what was what, um, and they that was good. They showed a lot of confidence, a lot of command in the material, and they were just not pleasant. They were not pleasant to listen to. They were not pleasant to be in their company. It was like, eh, really? Okay. <laughs> um, and then there were other people who were just the nicest and just, they it were very focused on getting to be with a large crowd of people, and that dynamic. And some of them were more terrified of it than others, but they all had this, the, the sort of main priority there was very much to be liked by the crowd um, and to make sure that the crowd knew how important it was that, um, that, you know, that they liked the crowd and, and what that tended to, to become in terms of the actual behavior at the front of the room was apologizing for themselves and it's this kind of like me <laughs> um, dynamic that mm -hmm. was just ter terrible to have at the front of the room because when you somebody's at the front of the room, you need them to take charge of the room because everybody in the room, their experience is whatever's being projected from that stage or podium or wherever it is. So that when there's somebody up there seems nervous, everybody <laughs> in the audience feels that nerve and is like, oh, that's awful. It's just not good. Mm -hmm. Anyway. So at the end of the day, we're like, well, these people are warm and not strong. And these people are strong and not warm. And what we need is both. And it was just sitting there looking at us. You had the people who never smiled and the people who never did anything but smile. And so we worked that and then looked back at that polling and saw echoes of it there and saw echoes of it in other places. And finally, we hit this, uh, you know, who really nailed this? He's, uh, he's not, not, not got a great reputation, but he is, he's thought of as thoughtful, so I guess there's that going for him. Niccolo Machiavelli. Did you hear this, this, this guy, right? Oh, yeah. From which we get the term Machiavellian. So he, he whatever with him. But anyway, he, was, he, he got jailed <laughs> for basically being a, a conniving sort of Karl Rove figure in his day in 15th century Florence or whatever it was. And, um, and he was trying to write his way out of jail because there was a new prince ascendant. So he writes to the prince, that's the name of the book, to give the prince advice. And the thing that we all know, even Michael Scott you know, from the office quotes this, it's better to be feared than loved. It's better for the leader to be feared than loved. But if you actually go and you look at the text, he, there's a little bit more to it than that. And what he says is, 
upon this, maybe ask whether it is better to be feared, for the leader to be feared or loved. And his answer is this. It may be answered, it is best to be both, but it is difficult to combine them in one person. And that's the rub. It's not just, oh, okay, strength, got it, check, warmth, got it, check. Because anything that you do to project more strength makes you seem a little bit more imperious and less warm. And anything you do to project more warmth makes you seem more accommodating, but also less strong, more of a pushover. And so tacking back and forth between these two things, figuring out how to combine them um, is a tricky business. And the people who do it really, really well end up being a top salesperson in their company or, you know, the king of their king or queen of their social group or sometimes even president of the United States. Okay, well, I want to learn how to do that, not to be president, but <laughs> definitely to help with yeah. presentations, to help with meetings. And and so what you're saying is you don't need to worry about your breath. You need to worry about so, strength and warmth. Those are the two things you need to be thinking about in the room, that, right? That, yes. So you want to worry about at the end at the end of the day, strength and warmth. What that ends up meaning is thinking about all the little things that make impressions towards those towards those ends. And at the end of the day, look, it is important to recognize the little things do matter if those are the only cues that people are getting. They will absolutely reach conclusions about you from those little cues. Um, but it is what people are looking for ultimately is a character judgment. They are looking for they're looking to figure out who you are, what makes you tick, what are you about. And so even if there's a bunch of stuff about you that you can't change, right? Whether it's your appearance or the position you're in in an organization relative to somebody else or whatever it might be. Um, ultimately, that will get factored in. Um, but the way you behave both verbally and non-verbally is a more important indicator of who you are. And people are looking for that. People are trying to figure out what makes you tick. One of the suggestions that you made in the book that I thought was really helpful to the folks mm -hmm. listening to really understand their concepts is to think about your favorite person, either in the company that you work or just a celebrity that you love. And you will see that those people are exhibiting both strength and warmth, like the people who become the most popular in a culture that have a really good combination of those two things. Mm -hmm. What's interesting then is to take it one step further and to look at this person who you know and you, you know how they operate and look through the world and ask, what, what are they doing that's projecting strength? And what are they doing that's projecting warmth? And how do those two things work together? So you can begin to think in those terms and unpack it. And, and for those of us who are not yet at Beyonce status of strength and warmth uh, yes. combined, uh -huh. I really feel like everybody walks around in the world with a dominant trait, like you're left or right-handed. Uh-huh. Do you, do you feel that way? It's an interesting thing. And look, part of this is part of the insight of this whole, you know, the, the type of this whole conversation is, and it's kind of creepy, but anybody who spends 10 minutes, maybe five, actually, in your presence, you know, like a, I don't know, a cocktail party or whatever, you know, basic interaction, that person probably walks away with a clearer picture of how you move through the world and the impression that you leave 
than you have because we don't, you know, unless you're unless you're on a reality TV show or <laughs> you're watching um, it, yeah, some kind of you know clinical narcissist who films yourself all the time, I, you know, who knows? <laughs> and it's all of these little cues, all of these subtle little subtle little things that we do that 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 add up to the whole picture. And by the way, standing in front of a mirror is it's not like it's not useful at all, but it doesn't give you the picture because we all you know, when you get out of the shower and, you know, go to brush your teeth in the morning and stand in front of that mirror, you automatically do a couple of things, most, many of us at least. You like stand up a little straighter and your head is turned this way but not that way. And so there's there's a limited perspective that you get on yourself in, in day-to-day world. And your friends know better. So, I mean, if you're serious about this as a voyage of self-discovery, there are conversations to be had with people who know you well that could tell you a lot of stuff. Jason, you know the best way to feel both strength and warmth with a nice fitting bra? I'll take your word for it. <laughs> How much do you love what's about to happen? I'm sort of a, <laughs> I'm sort of still figuring out exactly my role in this podcast aimed at women. Uh-huh. And I'm 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 finding my way, but I'm pretty sure that I'm going to sit out this ad. Oh, I don't think so. I want to tell all the listeners about my amazing bra from Third Love. If it's perfectly, super comfortable, sometimes I forget that I'm wearing it. (laughs) She's looking at me. I'm telling you, I just don't think they need me on this ad. Third Love uses data points generated by millions of women who have taken their Fit Finder quiz to design bras with breast size and shape in mind for a perfect fit and a premium feel. It's the only company I've ever seen that actually has half sizes. So like B and a half, C and a half. It's super cool. And I have to say, uh, the first time I ordered a bra, the band was a little snug. And it was the easiest exchange experience I've ever had. I did it over text message. I texted them that something was wrong. And they texted back with me about figuring out how to fix it. So there really is no risk to trying their bras or their amazing feeling underwear uh, because you can always exchange whatever you don't like. Third Love knows that there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now they're offering our listeners 15% off your first order. Just go to thirdlove.com slash Diana, D-I-A-N-A, to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash Diana for 15% off today. You just Go to the website and you'll see immediately that it's a different kind of company that's made by women for women. I had this idea for you. I don't know if you you use something like this, but a self-assessment that people can take and it'll be like, oh, you're probably dominant in strength or Mm -hmm. or you're probably dominant. Do you do anything with that or you just watch them for five minutes and you're like, I think I got a a really good read on this. (laughs) There are. As you suggest, there are different levels of uh, you know thoroughness to this. What I what I would first say is that that initial impression, that watching them for a couple minutes, that's really important because that's the stuff that everybody's picking up and that everything else is built on. But like when you walk into a room before you even mm-hmm. start presenting, when you walk on stage, that's mm-hmm. when they pretty much lock in like this is how I view this person but like the four kind of things that people think about you is 
they admire you, they pity you, they envy you, or they feel contempt uh, for you, right? Like those are the yeah. options of, of the feelings. That, and the and if you are yeah. thinking so like, okay, these are my fear. four options. Right, right. Now, well, hopefully you're somewhere. I mean, look, if you can do admire, good on you. Um, but hopefully you're somewhere in the middle shading towards admire is where you want to be. When we plot a kind of a two by two diagram of high strength, low strength, high warmth, low warmth. So you kind of maybe get this little Cartesian setup with an X, Y axis and Y axis and plot them against each other. You have fear and envy up in one corner, which is just lots of strength and no warmth at all. Um, you have pity in the global loser corner. You have contempt, which means you're 0 for 2, no strength or warmth. Um, and people not going to spend a lot of time thinking any more time thinking about you than they absolutely have to. And then there's admiration, which is you're actually managing to combine both. Now, you know, we talked a little bit about the, the fixed factors, um, that, mm -hmm. that you walk into a situation with and, and a little bit about how this is Mars and Venus as well as all the, you know, the, the strength and warmth kind of thing. Um, but the factor specifically of gender is probably the single biggest. And it's not just that it's determinative, um, but it's not totally parallel. Um, that's, that's very interesting. So, so guys are presumed strong. It is a very rebuttable presumption, as we say. But nevertheless, there's an association of strength with masculine, masculinity and warmth with being female. But for guys... If you're balancing this thing, this stuff and you're a guy, it's like, well, okay, so you're presumed strong. So as long as you don't do something really conspicuously, I don't know, wimpy, uh, to throw that away, and you're a little bit nice, right? A lit, just, you know, you smile, you say hi, and you open a door or something like that, right? You're immediately making an impression as a nice guy, which is not way in the extreme of the admired quadrant, but is in the admired quadrant. It's a, so getting, getting in the right general neighborhood is not that hard for men, but for women, totally different story because you start with the warmth box presumptively checked, right? can be unchecked, but assuming you don't uncheck it, then, well, what do you got to do? Well, you got to assert yourself and accomplish some things and show you're a capable person in the world. And as soon as you do that, well... If that's the thing that you're leading with, um, at least in a lot of organizational contexts, then you're very likely to be sliding out of the admire box towards the envy slash fear uh, direction. And this is where the, you know, there is a, there, we like to say there's a little box inside that box. And the little box has a big B on it. Um, and, and that's where women who accomplish and achieve are likely to end up without certainly more than they deserve and, uh, in the absence of using strategies to avoid it. And so the old, you know, that there's sort of, sort of an old, I guess it's an old saying it's twice as hard for women. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. I, it's almost a mathematical it's almost like mathematically true when you look at a craft like this because you got to do whatever it takes to project strength, but then you somehow have to find the energy to do a bunch of other stuff to project warmth or you end up where you don't want to be. Um, so you kind of have to claw your way out of the box 
um, by being just super warm. That sounds like a difficult juggling act to accomplish. And, and you say that the first thing that people notice about you is your gender. So instantly people are, you know, making some kind of determinations. And yeah, I one mean, of the more interesting before height and like that kind of thing, but it's, right. it's definitely one of the first three things and one of the most important for sure. And, and one of the like big ahas for me from reading the book mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. that I can do and say the exact same thing as a man and they are interpreted <laughs> very differently. Mm-hmm. And and I kind yeah. of felt it, but I didn't read like there's science behind it. So can you give me a couple of examples? Because I am too embarrassed to use my own personal examples. So let's use other fictional people that that the listeners don't know. Yeah, I mean the the kind of classic example. There was a uh, there is actually a woman Heidi. So Heidi is a phenomenally successful um, entrepreneur in Silicon Valley. Made piles of money, did lots of deals and exits and whatever one does in Silicon Valley. So much so that Harvard Business School wrote a case study about her and her success. And there was a different, uh, there's a guy, I think he was in Columbia, he's at Berkeley now, business school professor who was teaching this case to his class who said, aha, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to give half the class the real case about Heidi. For the other half of the class, I am going to give them the case, but change Heidi to Howard and all of the she's to he's and the hers to his and all of that. And when they did, when he did that, he starts the class. Um, he basically, you know, business school classes are seated in this sort of uh, stadium seating. So he gave literally everybody on one side got Heidi and the other side got Howard. And so at the beginning of the class, he said, so who liked our protagonist from our case this week, right? And all the hands on the Howard side go up. And none of the hands on the Heidi side go up. No! Yeah, and the crazy thing is this is a business school. So all of the women sitting on the Heidi side of the room who presumably want to be something not dissimilar to Heidi, right? They want to be successful businesswomen. But they didn't like her. They sure didn't like her uh, because she didn't do whatever warmth stuff she needed to do to make the impression that they themselves wanted to make in their own careers. Um, well, that's a depressing so, case study, John. It's a very depressing case study. Yes, it is. What is Heidi supposed to do? So a couple of things about, yes, let's not say, yeah, let's just leave it there as a depressing case study. So, so <laughs> number one would be don't not kick butt and take names. Definitely do. Um, but talk about what it is you're building and talk about how it's benefiting other folks. And frankly, if it's just you in the world amassing a pile of money for yourself, that's trickier because you're going to have to hire a good PR firm to figure that out because that's if there's no if there's no larger group that you're benefiting, that is going to that is going to trip up uh, social perceptions and 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 seem like not the thing that a woman should be doing. Whereas guys, yeah, some of, sometimes are seen as greedy. Uh, but they just don't pay the social penalty for it. Even if you do think, well, that's kind of a great, you know, jerk of a, of a guy, um, it's still way more accepted and there's still much less of a, of a, of a sort of, not violent, but strong reaction against that, a strong emotional reaction against that. The other thing I will say, though, so there's a, l- a little bit of a ray of light. They re-ran, and these are very, un- I mean, it's a business school class. So, yeah, it's 
sort of a controlled experiment, but it's not. There's nothing scientific about it with sample sizes or anything. But they did run this exercise five years later, um, different business school, same exercise, and something had changed a little bit. And what had changed was people actually liked Heidi better than they had five years ago. Um, and it's not a lot. They didn't love her, but they didn't, it was not, the penalty was not nearly as intense. What had not changed, interestingly, was they didn't trust her. Um, they still didn't trust Heidi very much. So there was, there is a, and, and I would make the case, I guess, that there's something rational there, um, which is, sounds like I'm trying to justify terrible things, but I, I'm just trying to <laughs> understand how we go there because we all go there. The, the trust deficit is, you know, when you see a Howard making his way in the world, it's like, yeah, okay, so there's Howard. And, you know, Howard could have been the kid down the street from me and grew up and got a couple of breaks and had this great career, good for Howard, right? We understand that person. We know what makes him tick. Or maybe we don't, but there's certainly nothing remarkable about having a successful business career that tells us anything about that. But if it's Heidi, and Heidi grew up down the street from us, it is still, in this day and age, unusual that Heidi would get those particular breaks and pursue that particular thing and end up in that same kind of a position. It's less common. And so when we in our lizard brain is trying to figure out what, what it is like, that makes Heidi tick, we're not sure. And so that's going to create a trust gap. Just not, I'm like, I just don't know. If I knew 20 Heidi's, then I'd, then I wouldn't have a problem here, but maybe I don't know 20 Heidi's yet. I know lots of Howard's, um, so I don't feel like I have a grip on it. Do you think that Heidi's dilemma is going to change as, as women make an even larger percentage of the workforce? They get higher representation and leadership. Do you think this is going to be a, a moot show? Like people aren't going to need to listen to this to, to think about how, how they project themselves? Yeah, absolutely. Well, so... Do I think it's going to go away, you know, three years and we can mark our calendars now? No, I don't. Um, it's taking its time, unfortunately. But one of the interesting things about this five-year-later follow-up study is that it changed. And you can, I mean, it's not scientific, but you maybe can't measure it precisely that way, but you can definitely see it. And the world is changing. And, you know, all of these people, all these women who are running for president now, it's different because Hillary ran last time. Right. And even if that didn't end up going the way people wanted it to go, it's still not shocking when a woman enters the race. And I was like, oh, yeah, OK, uh, now it's children. Oh, now it's Klobuchar. OK. Um, so it's not it, it's like, yeah, this is the thing that women do. And it's OK. Um, and, yeah, maybe we like some of them better than others and some of them better policies. But the fact that this candidate is female is no longer a, like record scratch. Stop the presses moment. Like disqualifying. Exactly, exactly. Even if these instant perceptions of strong women aren't Mm going to be a a hurdle for women to get over, it it still Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that we don't have to think about the strength and warmth that we project into the world. It's still how people are going to make their determinations of whether they admire us or or they pity us or or whatever else they feel about us. Absolutely. And it's still going to be a little bit harder for women to project the strength that they want to project without having a social penalty applied. That's right. That's right. It's still the balance. And look, we all walk into the world with a different balance. If you have a more, 
if your facial features are more chiseled, that's more strong versus more rounded. That's more warm. Um, high, uh, you know, background, where you're from, all of these things, their associations, their strength and warmth associations with all of it. Um, and that's before you even open your mouth. And then, mm-hmm. then you're, you know, then, then it gets complicated. Um, and then we're in the sort of whole rich soup of human interaction. And there's, it says there's <laughs> strength and warmth everywhere you look. And yeah, trying to balance it is a, is a tricky thing. I'm not even going to remember the words I'm supposed to say. I'm just going to be thinking like strength, warmth. Uh, it could be, it could be a big problem in a, in a meeting, right. but you talk about, you talk about, okay, there are all these inherent qualities about us that, that without us even speaking or doing anything, people are going to make some kind of strength warrant determination. And it would be helpful if you kind of understood what that was so that you could play up the other parts. But mm-hmm. then you have tools at your disposal that are nonverbal tools to play up both strength and warmth and, and things that you say. But you say that nonverbal is significantly more important than what it is that you say. Yeah. And there's a, there's a good reason for that. So, you know, I keep talking about the lizard brain and I I hope that makes sense to most folks, but it would be reasonable if it didn't. The idea is that our, our brain has all sorts of different parts and some of them evolved way earlier than others. So if you go down by the brain stem towards your, your nape, (laughs) um, there, there's all sorts of stuff there that's way older, evolutionarily speaking, you know, talking about millions of years, but still way older than what's just right behind your forehead, which is your prefrontal cortex, which is the fancy stuff that does math problems and logic and all of that. Um, and we like to think of ourselves as, you know, logical and reasonable and thoughtful and all those kinds of things. And all of that activity is associated with the prefrontal cortex. But a lot of our decision making and judgment, are, a lot of, I'm, I'm understating. Mostly, we decide what we do and don't like first, and then, and that's done by the lizard brain um, or the the earlier evolved portions of the brain, um, often with direct input from what's if you actually reach around the back of your head, where your your headband would be if you were wearing one right now, <laughs> where it would look around the back. That's where your occipital lobe is under there, and that's billions and billions and billions of neurons. Um, that are just processing visual signals coming back from your, your eyes. And the reason, part of the reason that we have so many billions of neurons to do that, you know, our, our vision is not as good as a hawk, say, right? Um, but the hawk isn't needing to decode the nonverbal cues of a lot of other hawks um, precisely. So it's doing a different thing with its, its vision. Our vision isn't quite that precise, but I tell you, you absolutely can tell the difference from across the room, out of the corner of your eye, if somebody's standing up straight or slightly slumped, because that's important to us. Because if they're standing up straight, it means that they are mean. They mean business. They're projecting themselves out into the room. If they're slightly slumped, they're relaxed. So they're not likely to do anything dramatic that's going to mess with us. Um, so we don't have to be as vigilant about that. So, um, all of that is to say it's these nonverbal signals where we're taking our cues from. We are co-evolved as social creatures. We both send and receive these signals. And it, this is where this, the kind of blink book insights come in. That It's not just that we size each other up or we judge a book by its cover so quickly. It's that there's something valid there. 
because the signals that we're sending actually are saying something about how we see ourselves in the world, how we feel right now, what we're likely to do, how we're operating. Um, and so picking those up happens without us, you know, sending them happens without us knowing it and picking them up happens without us knowing it pretty much too. Um, so to, to get into that largely unconscious process and start tinkering with stuff, um, that's where you, you can make big changes. Um, but it's not super easy to do. Um, with strength is interesting because strength, you can kind of say, okay, now I want to project more strength. So I'm going to stand up straight and I can stretch out and I'm going to, you know, stride purposefully into this room. And that's something that your prefrontal cortex can do and get involved in and say, you know, okay, core muscles, uh, we did lots of yoga this week, so we're very strong, and we are going to straighten out the S-curve in our spine and claim that extra three-quarters of an inch of altitude at our shoulder and, and walk in purposefully. And that will project more strength. It may look, make you look like an idiot or a jerk, but it will project <laughs> more strength. You can dial that up. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> it's a little bit different if you're trying to project warmth because the, if your prefrontal cortex decides, okay, now we're doing warmth and start thinking about your facial muscles, you're in trouble because it's not going to end well because your prefrontal cortex and your voluntary muscle movement don't know what to do to project warmth. Your prefrontal cortex is going to have a lot better results if instead of thinking about musculature, instead says, all right, so why am I happy to be here? Yeah, <laughs> why do I care about like these people? Yeah, like this is kind of a nerve-wracking meeting or a boring meeting or whatever else. Um, but let's think about how to make the most of the next 40 minutes of my life. Um, or, in, or not make the most of it, just enjoy it, right? What's, what is enjoyable about this, enjoyable about the company, um, and, and for what reason am I doing this, actually? Get in touch with that purpose and be like, oh, this is great. Okay, good. But for some reason, you got to shift your attitude. Once you've shifted your attitude, the nonverbals take care of themselves because you, you are in a different place internally and your nonverbals are going to broadcast that to everybody around you. So it, it's, especially on the warm side, you got you to do first things first. John, you can't see me right now. We are in a podcast universe. This is true. And so you cannot pick up on the, whatever you said, like 80% of your cues are, are nonverbal. Mm -hmm. you, you don't have mm -hmm. any of those cues about me. So, you know, I, I have an expert consultant on the line. How am I doing? Because mm -hmm. I, really, I really want people to listen to the show. So mm -hmm. how, how am I doing so far in the strength and warmth category? Give me some coaching. Well, vocally, I think you're doing great. Um, most, so here's what vocal strength and warmth sounds like. Vocal warmth sounds like you're talking to a friend. And it can be really excited, like an old friend you've seen for years. And then you're, you're fast and you're slow and you're, you're soft sometimes because you're sharing a really important thing that happens. And sometimes you're loud and boisterous. And so warmth vocally has, is very dynamic. You see a lot of variation of all of the different kinds of speech characteristics or, or, or sonic characteristics. Um, that you could do with your voice. So as opposed to, you know, like a monotone, which we all know, no matter what it is, it's going to put people to sleep. Vocal <laughs> strength has a very particular um, signature of characteristics. So imagine, oh, I just, imagine for a second, you're presenting a slide deck at work, right? Um, this is a good trick to use 
you and you know some slide decks are written terribly, and the, the whole point of the slide is the title of the slide, and it's self-evident. And so the time it takes you to walk through the slide is kind of like people already know the point, so they've already tuned out and gone back to the problems. But assuming that you haven't given the game away, if you're going to show people a slide, you want to explain what's on the slide, the information there, in a friendly way with a lot of warmth. And so this is this, and that's there, and so you see, da, 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 and you're mixing it up. But before you hit next slide, um, you hit your button, you want to think about what is it on this slide that is important for the audience to take with them through either through the rest of the presentation or maybe after the presentation. Like what, what is the takeaway here that I want to stick with people? And for that part, you want to say, so you're doing all the explanation and you get to the end. So all the information is already in their head before you go to the next one. You're going to say, so here's the point, pause. Then you say, blah, blah, you know, plastics or whatever it is, right? So then you do the point and then you pause again and then you pick back up and you go on. And it's that pause, speaking low in your register, then pause. Um, that, that's the thing that sticks with people. That's just why James Earl Jones gets paid by the syllable like AT&T or I am your father or whatever. <laughs> um, that stuff, I mean, yes, obviously, if your father revealed himself to you in a lightsaber fight, you remember that. But, <laughs> but you can be a little bit memorable, too, if, if, you, if you deliver that message so that it carries forward in the rest of the presentation. And here's the thing. If you do that, not only is your presentation going to be more effective because three slides later, they're going to be like, oh, yeah, that thing, right? That helps them interpret whatever you're talking about three slides later. They're also going to come away with a much better impression of you. Because what have you just done on that slide? Well, first, you took this complicated bit of information and you were able to explain it to them, which is an act of strength, right? Of competence. Um, but you did it in a friendly way. This happens there, blah, 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 blah. And that's nice. So you're a nice person, but you know your stuff. So that's a nice, pretty, pretty good strength and warmth combination right there. But then lest anybody miss that you are insisting on the important things being important and sticking up for that. You're going to deliver this punch. You're going to land the punch at the end and make that important point strongly with your vocal tone. So people feel, oh, yes, I've now gained some profound insight and I'm going to appreciate that. Pause at the beginning. Are you ready for it? Here it is. Pause at the end. Let that sink in. That's pretty good, huh? Yeah, okay, good. Let's go. Um, and so you're doing both strength and warmth. So you're, you're making an impression of yourself, not just delivering an effective presentation. Remember I love that? it. I'm going to use it. No. Um, I don't know if any clients are listening, but they're going <laughs> to know it when they see it. There you go. So you so think about at the end of this show, what are you, you're going to do a, a you're going to give us a Darth Vader. No, really, not really. But, uh, <laughs> but there's going to be a point, pause, right? two, yeah, three, pause, four. Here it is. Here's the thing <laughs> I want all my loyal listeners to remember about this show. Ba-boom. And then, and then sign off with a nice, you know, warm flourish. And then you're all good. All right. All right. <laughs> I will do that. Professional AF is brought to you by Skillshare. This is the perfect advertiser for us because I want curiosity to be your superpower. And for every topic not covered by this podcast, you got to go to Skillshare, an online learning community for creators to learn how to do every single other thing on your list. Like I didn't get a podcast about doing social media marketing, and I'm a huge introvert when it comes to social media. And there's this incredible class on it on Skillshare. 
Is there a class on handstands? Oh, is there? There are four different classes on Skillshare. I'm looking at them now. Yoga inversions, how to do a handstand, how to do forearm balance, how to do a headstand, and how to learn headstands in a way that will make it sustainable in a part of your practice. That is a very specific answer to my question. That is impressive. And I want people to know that I didn't just randomly ask that question. Diana's hobby right now is trying, she's trying to do a handstand. Yes. And no matter what your hobby or what you're interested in, if you're trying to find your blind spots and how you could do it even better, Skillshare is the place for you to go. Last, last year it was a 10-minute plank. Yes. This year it's a handstand. I wish I would have had Skillshare then. I would have done a 20-minute plank. I'm worried, I'm worried next year it'll be like a fist fight. <laughs> I bet they have classes for that. Join the millions of students that are already learning on Skillshare today with a special offer just for Diana's listeners. Get two months of Skillshare for free. You can do it. Holy you wow. Can, you can do a handstand in two months. That's right. Skillshare is offering professional AF listeners two free months of unlimited access to 25,000 classes for free. How many classes do you think you could listen to and watch in two months? Mm -hmm. 24,000. <laughs> I like the chutzpah. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash Diana. That's D-I-A-N-A, -A, like the princess. Again, go to Skillshare.com slash Diana to start your two months now. That's Skillshare.com slash Diana. Are you paying too much to send out packages and letters? Wouldn't it be nice to have a solution that can give you the lowest rate? This is actually a very timely ad because, as some know, I've been on a, a mental health sabbatical, if you will, mm -hmm. over the last few months. And one of the things I've had the opportunity to do is be your administrative assistant, sort of. <laughs> and you, you've taken some things to the post office for the first time in many, many years. I'm, yeah, that's pretty much all. <laughs> I've done other administrative assistant things, I think. Uh -huh. Anyway, I've gotten to know the guy at the post office pretty well. And I walk in and he sees me and he's like, so she's sending some more books to people. But you're always wondering. Is this the lowest price? Always. Every time. And with SendPro Online, it's easy to save time and money no matter what you send. From packages to overnights and letters, you can easily compare U.S. Postal Service, UPS, and FedEx rates all in one online tool. And you gain access to special U.S. Postal Service savings for letters and priority mail shipping. I've done other administrative assistant stuff. I've, I've Have done you? A, I've done a lot of stuff around the house. That's, that's just being married. But you I've, were traveling a lot before. <laughs> but I've, I definitely feel like you're assistant in all of these things because all the things I'm doing, they would have been done better if you had done them. <laughs> you just print shipping labels and stamps from your own printer. You track all your shipments and you get email notifications when they've arrived. SemPro Online is only $14.99 a month. And for being a professional AF listener, you get a free 30-day trial to get started plus a free 10-pound scale to help you accurately weigh your packages. Just visit pb.com slash professional to access this special offer. Now, I have to point out, like every other slash is Diana, but this one is professional, um, so don't get that confused. I have to point out that in 10 minutes, I'm going to think of a bunch of other <laughs> administrative assistant things that I did, and I'm going to wish we had, mm -hmm. we could redo the ad then, but that's okay. That's pb.com slash professional. Experience the better way to ship with a free trial of SendPro Online. 
You talk about the circle, and I, I want everybody to understand the circle. So when you're oh, in a yeah. sales mm -hmm. meeting or in a presentation, the person, they're judging you on strength and warmth, but the way that they're asking those questions is that they're saying, is this person in this circle with me? So tell me about mm -hmm. the circle. Yeah, so the circle is basically a Venn diagram that represents the idea that there are two kinds of people in the world. And at the middle of the circle stands your audience. And from your audience's point of view, they're the kind of people in the circle with them, they're kind of people, and the kind of people not in the circle, who at least on whatever topic you're talking about, don't get it. Um, they're a little out of touch on this. They're, they're not from around here. The kind of people who, if they're talking about the topic, when they, if they just use the royal we, that's the people in the circle. And if they use the dreaded they, those are the people outside. You're saying that it doesn't matter what your content is if you don't get into the circle first. Like this is a numerical thing. Like the first thing we got to do is get in the circle and then say some stuff because otherwise they're, they're not listening. You got it. Because if you show up and you start talking to somebody who does not see you as in the circle, um, this is this is mostly a warmth concept um, that this is mostly about. Are you my kind of people? Although there's a little bit of a confidence in there, too, maybe in some cases. But it's mostly a, it's mostly a warmth. It's the who is the in-group community. Right. It's almost like a tribal thing. And so if you if you're not seen as somebody who's kind of gets it and is my kind of person and is, it's key phrase for this is common sense. You'll hear this in politics all the time. They argue about who's the common sense candidate or has a common sense solution or whatever that's saying this is the sense that's shared by the community around my audience um, and so if you're not seen as somebody in the circle you're not seen as somebody worth listening to and that doesn't mean you can't get a couple of words in um, but you need to use those couple of words to establish that you get it that the concerns of the person on the inside and this is how you get in the circle is you start by acknowledging and validating the concerns or feelings that your audience has about your topic. And so there's a, a great way to think about this is, um, you know, I was just listening to the great Bob Cialdini, uh, who wrote the seminal book Influence. His number one on his list these days is what he calls reciprocity. And there is, you know, there are all kinds of studies with chimps and babies and whatever that show that we have an innate sense of fairness and that we're, we want uh, kind of a homeostasis and an equity and a balance in the world. And part of what that means is that if somebody does something nice for you, you are inclined to do something nice for them. There is a, there's a, that reciprocity dynamic happens. So here, if you start, you want somebody else to say yes to what you're saying, right? So what do you do? First thing is you want to say yes to what they're not saying, but feeling and thinking, right? And so if you show up and you say, yeah, not that I agree with every notion that you have in your head about this topic, but your fundamental drive and concern and motivation here, absolutely right, and I share it. Once you've done that, if you're having a persuasive conversation, you said that my motivation here is the same as yours. We want to get to the same place. So now if there's a hiccup, if there's an issue that you have to deal with, that's something that you can do jointly. You guys are on the same team now. Um, you're in the same circle. 
with dealing with that same set of concerns. Now, you may deal with it in a totally different way than this person was inclined to before. And that's where you're introducing new information that can convince them of something. But by first establishing that you're on their side, now we can have a conversation about what it is that we want to do. And if I'm addressing a new audience, people, you know, I'm in a a different company, I'm trying to convince Mm -hmm. them of something, or I'm on stage. Yep. Yep. Are you saying I should start with a question to get to know them better to make sure that we're on the same page? So starting with a question does lots of good things. First of all, it breaks the fourth wall. So in terms of the anxiety, you know, people are scared of public speaking because, put it this way, if you're having a one-on-one conversation with somebody and they're just staring at you blankly, no facial expression, no uh uh-huhs, no yeps, no nodding, no nothing, it won't take you very long in that one-on-one conversation to have a knot in your stomach going, oh my God, they hate me. So public speaking (laughs) means take that one stony face and multiply it by the entire audience. And, and you're like, ah, what's the matter with these people? Because they're watching television. That's the thing. You're, they're not in a conversation. (laughs) They are off the hook. They're watching television. So when you start by saying, okay, so show a hand, they're like, oh, wait, this is not television. I have to participate here. So they become much more interactive and engaged. And that's, that's just nice for your nerves that you have to be running this at the front of the room. And it, make, it does make people feel more involved, too. I think that is helpful, potentially, depending on, depending on what answers you get. Right? Um, you never well, do I know. love that suggestion. Okay, yeah, so uh, I'm a listener and I've listened to this and, and I'm convinced strength and warmth, they're important. Yeah. What, yeah. what do I do? What do I do with this information, John? What do you do next? Buy the books. No. Um, <laughs> what do you do next is, is kind of figure out um, yeah, I think it is to figure out where it is, how it is you operate in the world. And some of that's from talking to other folks. And it may, you may know already. You may be very clear about how you come across. It's still probably worth checking. Um, and the way you check is talking to friends is one, one way. And, it's, you know, there, there's some suggestions in the book about how you raise that without it seeming totally bizarre. Um, but the other, I mean, when we're doing uh, work with clients in a, in a business context, this is the part that we lovingly call wildlife photography because you are trying to catch video of yourself without, you know, playing to the camera or being nervous because you're on camera or otherwise reacting to the camera in a, you know, in a meeting or whatever else. And it's, you know, it's, it's, we all have a little video camera in our pocket these days, so that's helpful, but it's still weird to set it up in the corner during a meeting and then take the time to watch back, but it's helpful and it doesn't take that much time to start to get some some ideas of what kind of impressions you're making. Um, so taking an inventory is very helpful. Also, just like, how's my posture, right? Um, and what is my, you know, <laughs> funny, in the last couple of years, this whole idea of the bitchy resting face or resting bitch face or whatever people call it. Um, has I'm, I'm familiar. Gone. I'm familiar, John. Right, yeah, cultural <laughs> currency there. People, right? people, people have said to me, I, I know I have it. I don't need wildlife photography because in meetings... <laughs> Uh, people have come up to me and said, "Are you? Is everything all right?" And right, I'll be like, wrong? "Yeah, we're, we're, I'm just listening." <laughs> Not nothing. And they're man, like, you just, just "It's just that your face says you oh, are right. very unhappy right now." <laughs> yeah, and like you know, people concentrate. That's a good thing that people concentrate, and so but but you're not doing a, a social thing, and if you're concentrating, anyway, yeah. Um, but figuring out what your resting face looks like and. You know, maybe it's not bitchy, maybe it's dopey, maybe it's, you know, like, hey, guys, um, or or maybe it is, maybe it's serious in some other way. Um, but 
thinking a little bit about that and thinking about, again, you don't want to change that by trying to move a different muscle. Trying to, trying to mess with your face. Right. <laughs> Be happy right now. Be happy. <laughs> I, uh, it's just, just wear big dark glasses everywhere, but no, right. you, you want to, uh, yeah, you want to, you want to think about, okay, well, is there a different thing that I could do? And this is tricky because once you start messing with your nonverbal behaviors, the most common mistake is people say, okay, I'm doing that thing. I don't want to do that thing. So I got to remind myself not to do that thing. Don't do that thing. And the whole don't do the thing is just sometimes worse than useless, but mostly useless because what you have to do is figure out what to do instead that precludes you doing the thing. And then you could say, oh yeah, do the new thing. Oh, okay. I'm doing the new thing. Um, otherwise it's like the old gag that don't think of an elephant thing. Okay. Ready? Go. Don't mm-hmm. think of an elephant. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so, okay. So I yeah, cross my it. arms in meetings a lot. I was doing the self-reflection. I cross my uh-huh. arms in meetings when I'm listening, uh-huh. which is a, uh-huh. not a good physical, uh, I don't know, projection, right? It says I'm not happy. No, no. it's it not projecting strength or warmth. Or putting up a barrier <laughs> or yeah, all that stuff. So I've been thinking about what I could do instead and uh-huh. I thought I should just hold a glass or a pen or something in my hand so that I can't cross my Very arms. Very good. Very good. The A number one. We, like that? we teach people all kinds of stuff about what to do with their hands during a presentation. But the easiest cheat is pick up a something, whether it's a pen. You know, if you, don't, if you have a clicker, you're probably good. Um, pick up a pen, but importantly, a pen that doesn't have a cap or like a fountain pen or something that's really easy to fidget with or else you'll be fidgeting the whole time. Um, but just having something in your hand can give you that focus as opposed to having your hands wandering around in weird ways. John, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for helping me with my strength and warmth. But everybody listening, I hope I hope they do some time to self-reflect and maybe find some activities to play up some of those traits. Uh, th- this has been awesome. Thank you so, so much. Oh, I am so glad. I really appreciate the chance to talk to somebody who's read the book and used it. That's, that's <laughs> Can't can't recommend it enough. So thank you. Very good. Thank you much. How awesome was John? You know, if you were a member of our private Facebook group, Professional AF Podcast Insiders, you could get on there as soon as this episode is over and you and I could chat about it. That's where I posted my dragger sizing video from last week. That's where I want to chat about the strength and warm techniques that you're trying out this week. And don't forget, these episodes are meant to be shared. If there's a person in your life that you think could benefit from the content, please share it on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, wherever you share stuff. And don't forget to tag me at Diana Kander so that I can thank you appropriately. If you enjoyed this episode, you're going to go nuts for next week when we talk about the biological and social reasons that women sabotage each other at work and how to make sure that it doesn't happen to you. Please make sure you're subscribed to know exactly when the episode drops and get the rest of the amazing content that we have planned for season one. And did you know about the contest? I made some professional AF swag, and I want you to have it. There are going to be 50 different winners who are going to get patches and T-shirts and this beautiful water bottle. Just go to dianacander.com and click on podcast to register. And team, if you leave here with nothing else, just remember this. It would mean the world to me if you shared, reviewed, and subscribed the show. That's the only way we get to keep making more show, by having numbers that advertisers want to keep supporting. 
This is Diana Kander, and I don't know about you, but I can see it already. Curiosity is your superpower. It looks good on you.